We're glad you're here checking out our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jason Hitchings, and I'm the Men's and Sports Director here at Rolling Hills. You're joining us in the seventh week of our series, Masterclass, where we're following Jesus through the entire Gospel of Mark, one chapter at a time. In chapter seven, we see how he has the power to heal those who come to him. Whether it's a physical condition or a spiritual ailment, Jesus gives us hope and heals our hurts. Let's hear how Jesus changes the lives of the hurting and broken. We're glad you're here. Franklin campus. It is great to be with you today. As Eric said, I'm Kelly Minter and I am um, attend our Nashville campus. So I don't get to see you all nearly enough, but it is great for me to be here with you today. So we are going to be continuing in our series, the master class out of Mark chapter seven. So if you have your Bibles or a device and you want to just kind of get settled there, um, we're going to be in Mark chapter seven. And I'm going to tell you, since it's kind of impossible to truly take the whole chapter and do it justice in just 35 minutes, um, I'm really going to focus on, out of the three stories that are there, I'm going to mostly focus on the second one. But we're going to start with a story in Galilee, in uh, Israelite territory, uh, where the Pharisees come and they begin to contend with Jesus. And we'll get there in just a moment. And then we're going to move from there, and we are going to move to Gentile territory. And we're going to see how Jesus begins to show that those who think they are insiders, religious insiders, are actually the outsiders in his kingdom. And those who are outsiders are becoming insiders. So before we even jump into the text this morning, as I welcome you who are joining us online from all over, and as I welcome you here today, my prayer is that no matter how you came here today, especially if you feel like an outsider, I hope and pray that by the end of getting through our text today, that you will see through the person of Jesus Christ that you can be an insider. And that's really what so much of this message is about today. Okay, so I'm gonna summarize the top of Mark. And um, before I begin to summarize that passage, you may be wondering why there is a a vase of of flowers up here. Um, And you're probably thinking, oh, well, Jeff is out of town and Kelly, she's a woman and she just wanted to spruce things up here. And so she brought some flowers this morning, but that's actually not why. Although I think it is a nice touch. I might encourage Jeff to keep these for next week. But 25 years ago, I was sitting in a class and there was a Bible teacher that was there and he was Um, sharing something. He had this illustration. He had this vase with water in it. And he said to the class, he said, okay, now if I come up to this, this vase here and I accidentally or on purpose bump into it and water spills onto the floor, he says, I have a question for you. Why did water just now spill onto the floor? 
And maybe you would answer the question the exact way that I answered the question and why the exact way that the whole class answered the question, which is, well, water spilled onto the floor because you just rammed into the vase. And he said, that is exactly not the right answer. He said, water spilled onto the floor because there was water in the vase. Had there not been water in the vase, I could have knocked into it as many times as I wanted and no water would spill onto the floor. So I want you to keep that illustration in mind as I summarize, and then we will read what was happening at the top of Mark chapter 7. So keep that flower vase in your head. You have the Jews, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the keepers of the law that had come from Jerusalem, and they had gone all the way north to Galilee where Jesus was, still in Israelite um, you know, territory. And they come into a place where Jesus is sitting with his disciples. They are dining. And the Pharisees are concerned because Jesus' disciples are eating with unwashed hands. Now, this is a big deal for us um, even today because none of us in this room, none of us knew how to wash our hands until 2020. (laughs) We didn't care about it. We didn't think about it. Um, we, you know, now there's a whole thing. Someone told me after the first service that the Apple Watch has a hand-washing timer. So when you start washing, this is why I don't have the Apple Watch. But when you start washing your hands, it times you, okay? So, but that is actually not what the Pharisees were all up in arms with because it really wasn't so much about disease or sickness. It was a ceremonial purification that they had added to God's law that was not part of God's law. And so when the Pharisees would leave the marketplace, they would not only wash their hands as a way of religiously purifying themselves, setting them aside, their, themselves apart from everybody else, But they would also clean the pitchers and the cups and the plates. Well, they were upset that Jesus and his disciples were not following this, and Jesus has a little master class of his own. And we are going to start with his response to the Pharisees, and not just, but the summoning, he summons the crowds in verse 14 of chapter 7, and this is what he says. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile or, uh, yeah, can defile him for it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. And so what Jesus is saying here to the Pharisees is that you think you can cleanse your heart by washing your hands and by cleaning the pitchers and the cups and the dishes. But I'm telling you that the defilement, what makes a person defiled is not the germs on their hands. It is what comes out of their hearts. Um, And what has happened, and I think what is happening right now, I think for many of us, is that we want to blame others 
for what is happening in our own hearts, the sin in our own hearts. In fact, the other day I was uh, pulling up to my house, a friend was dropping me off, and I was coming around the front of the car and she just laid on her horn just to get under my skin. I mean, just to scare the living daylights out of me. And it made me so mad. And I did not react in a Christ-like way. And when I did not react in a Christ-like way and I turned around, there were my neighbors sitting on the front porch just witnessing the whole thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. that." And they said, we don't care. Oh, but you got some packages. You got some packages. Kelly, do you need help with all those boxes? And I'm like, come around the corner. And I'm like, gosh, I don't know what these are. And I start cutting into them and I open them up and I'm, they're devotional Bibles. And my publisher had put some of my devotions in the Bible a couple years ago. I had totally forgotten, and they showed up that day. And so I'm like, nope, nope, don't need any help over here. They're just Bibles that I was got to be part of. And then I walk in the house, and I shut the door, and my first thought is if she hadn't honked on the horn, my neighbors would not think that I'm a Bible teacher and simultaneously a heathen. If she just wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have reacted the way I did. And how embarrassing. And the Holy Spirit was so quick. And he goes, no, 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 Kelly. You reacted the way you did because there is water in the cup. And I want to ask you today at the very top, before we even leave Galilee and before we head to Tyre and Sidon and the Decapolis, I want to ask you this question. Who or what are you blaming right now for the sin that is in your own heart? Aren't you glad you decided to come to church this morning? Um, Because right now, all kinds of things are going to be banging up against the jar of our heart. We have a pandemic that we're coming out of. There's a war in Ukraine. There are supply chain issues. The stock market is down. Marriages are struggling. People are hurting. And things are going to hit the cup. And Jesus says, don't you worry about that. Worry about me getting to your heart. Worry about me transforming your heart. Now, this story is very important to our next story. All of these stories connect for us. And so I want to begin in verse 24 because it seems like a real break, but just keep this connection in mind, what Jesus has just said to the insiders who actually are outsiders. Verse 24, Jesus got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Now, it's important that we understand our geography here, because Tyre sits to the northwest of Galilee, quite a bit to the northwest on the water. And Syrophoenicia or Phoenicia was a Gentile territory. This would have been a pagan 
place. This was enemy of the Jews. This is everything that place of Tyre represents everyone and everything that the Pharisees who were washing their hands and had clean plates and dishes, everything about Tyre was unclean to the Pharisees. So while Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the crowds there about what it means to truly be pure, he not only has left the Jews theologically, but he is about to leave them geographically because now he is up in Tyre where the people appear to be unclean to the Jews. And this is, at first, a, it is an off-putting story. Um, Jesus appears to call a woman a dog. And I just so appreciate that Pastor Jeff is out of town and that I have this chapter today. I, I'm going to ask him, like, can, you, can we, I need to look at what the chapter is before I agree to teaching it, you know? I got in, I was like, oh, that's right, this is Mark 7. This is that parable that's really uncomfortable. But we are gonna see that this is a mind-blowing story. This is an unbelievable story of a woman with great faith. We know from Matthew's gospel, he gives us a little bit more detail here, that as this woman is coming to Jesus, she finds out that he is there, and she's coming to Jesus and she's begging him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Can you imagine the desperation? Can you imagine what she is up against and the pain that she is in? And Matthew's gospel tells us that literally Jesus said nothing. He remained completely silent. It's so uncomfortable and it's so unlike everything else we've seen from Jesus and we'll see. And, and so he doesn't say anything to her. And then the disciples come, and they say to Jesus, um, Jesus, can you kind of send her away? Because she's sort of messing the vibe. And, you know, this is a lady from Syrophoenicia, and it's just the whole thing, and the demon possession, and it's just all kind of unclean. And just can you just deal with her and send her away? And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Remember, we're not in Israel. We're in Tyre. Did this woman overhear Jesus completely ignoring her and say that to his disciples? We don't know. But what must she have thought? And what, 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 what are we thinking right now? If Jesus has only come for the lost sheep of Israel, why in the world is he in Tyre? Well, Mark tells us something that... Matthew doesn't tell us, and this is that when he begins to start his parable, Jesus turns eventually to the woman because she keeps persisting. She keeps asking him to heal her daughter, and he turns to her finally, and he begins his parable, and he says, let the children be fed first. The, ch the children are the ones that need to be fed first. It is not right to serve the bread of the children, to the dogs. So you're like, oh my goodness, this is so, this is so not 2022. You know, this is, this is not okay. This doesn't seem okay. But I want us to unpack this and I want us to see what Jesus, I believe, is doing here. First of all, we want to talk about what the children represent here. The children represent Israel. This is who Jesus has come to. He has come for his people. Now we know from 
way in the Old Testament and beyond that Jesus would come to Israel first, but it would be so that Israel would then be able, he would be a blessing to the rest of the world and to the Gentiles. In fact, the way that Mark's gospel ends is that the disciples are going out to all the world to preach the gospel. But at this point, Jesus has mostly stayed in Israel. And so the children are, they're the, they're the children of Israel. They are the ones that are sitting at the table and the bread has been served to them. What about the bread? We know Jesus is the bread of life. He is the one that gives nourishment. He is the one that fills. He is the one that sets things right. And so there's the bread. And then in this, the third thing in this parable are the dogs. And there are those dogs in the little story that Jesus tells, and they're the ones that go under the table and they wait for the crumbs to fall. Now, it is true, it is true that during that time, Jews referred to Gentiles as dogs. They felt like they were the mangy, beneath them, unclean animals compared to their pure selves. So Jesus may have been just touching on the common ideology of the day, but we also know that dog here is a small pet, a small lap dog in the Greek. Now, I don't know how many of you all are dog people. Um, I am not. I'm not a huge pet person. I freely admit that, that all of you pet people are much happier than I am. I know that you're happy, you're delightful, because I don't understand how, I don't understand things like, bed, like dogs in people's beds, you know, hair on the couch, um, shedding, licking, dogs weaving it, themselves in and out of your legs while you're sitting there at table, jumping up on you, you know, but you guys are happy. I mean, I don't get it, but you really are because I see you. I see you sometimes at 5.30 in the morning, it's freezing, it's hailing, and you're out and you're walking your dog. And I'm like, wow, I just need whatever that serotonin is that God gave you. I am just so envious because it's just, it's utterly amazing. So maybe in this story, you can, you can see that, you can see the family dog is under and getting, getting the crumbs. And so this is the little illustration that Jesus is saying. And it appears that what he is saying is, I am the bread of life. I have come for the children of Israel that are sitting at the table. And it would not be right for me to do this healing for you because that would be like giving you the bread when you are like the family pet underneath the table would not be right for me to take that bread and to give it to you. And it seems like, oh my goodness, what is Jesus saying to this woman? And here's what I absolutely believe. I believe that Jesus sees something in her that he has not seen in Israel, that he has not seen in the Pharisees, that he has not even seen in his disciples. I believe he sees a understanding and a faith and a, a eyes to see who he is. And I believe that all of this is him drawing out her faith, drawing out her faith. And we're gonna see that she sees things that nobody else sees. So what happens is Jesus tells that little story and this woman does not argue with him as do the Pharisees, but she extends his parable. She extends his parable and she actually answers from within his story and she says, yes, fine, that might be true. However, even the family pet eats the crumbs that fall from the table. Okay, before we unpack all of this, um, I think one of the most powerful things that this woman does in this story 
And if we did this with our life story, I, it would change our lives. And this is number one. She responds to Jesus from within his narrative. <clears throat> she responds to Jesus from within his narrative. Now, it'd be so easy for her to challenge what he said. Well, why didn't you come to the Gentiles first? Why, why this humiliating parable? Why don't you just take half the bread from the kids and let us sit at the table too? She could have done a lot of things, but she accepts the story that Jesus gives her. She accepts the parable as it is, and she responds within it, and she extends it in an incredible way, a way that shows phenomenal faith, that she is basically saying, Jesus, that might be true, but if even but just a crumb of your presence, a crumb of your power, a crumb of your love, a crumb of your healing, if just a crumb of that falls to the ground, I will take that and it will be enough. And Jesus hasn't seen faith like this anywhere. And I don't know about you, but I spent a lot of time writing my own narrative and asking Jesus to enter my narrative, to come on in my story, to, to agree with the way that I wanted to go and the things that I wanted to do and how I wanted to think. And the whole time Jesus was saying, no, 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 I want you to join me in my story. And it is a death to self. It is a dying to our own stories. And let me tell you, our culture right now, we are all about this narrative. We are all about you do you, you write you, your truth, you live by your truth, you do what makes you happy, you write that story, and then if you want to believe in Jesus, great, have, invite him into your little story. I, I, in the, right in the middle of the pandemic a couple years ago, I was reading an article, and it was a psychologist, I believe, at the time, and she was basically saying, hey, we're all, we've all had a lot of hard things, a lot of people knocking into our jars, things are tough. And um, she said, one thing that might help is if you get a pen and you get a journal and, and you just write the story that you want to be true. And as you write that story that you want to be true, make yourself the hero of the story. Now, I was like, I, didn't, I don't mean this meanly at all, but I was like, that's the most unhelpful thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, I am not, I know I'm not the hero. I know I can't do it. I, I, I've hit so many ceilings the last few years, it's ridiculous. And, and I hit ceilings in my own heart. I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I, I, I be that. I want to join Jesus' story. I want to be in his story. And, and so I just want to say to you today, and I just want to encourage you, and I hope it feels encouraging, that if you have any story that is not in accordance with God and his word and his goodness and his righteousness and his love, abandon that story and join his story. Because when we die to our story for his story, we truly do live the best story that we can live. And this is just unbelievable that this woman joins Jesus in his narrative. I love it so much. It does not go against our inclinations. Boy, does it ever go. Taking up our cross and following Jesus goes against our inclinations, but it is the life that is truly life. Okay, this is number two. She valued what others didn't. She valued what others didn't. Now, again, we are living in a world, we have a lot of values in our culture right now, whether it's money or wealth or vacation, you know, all kinds of experiences, not necessarily bad things, 
many of those really good things, but we value things so often other than Jesus Christ. And the same thing was happening 2,000 years ago. The Pharisees were in a conversation with Jesus. He is the bread of life. He is teaching them. He is standing right there with them. The crowds are there. Even the disciples are there. And they don't get it. They don't value it. And so I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus goes, okay, I'm heading to Tyre. I'm gonna head to the Decapolis. I'm gonna get out of the people who aren't interested here. And I'm gonna go to some people who actually want, who actually value who have faith in me. And, and she, here's what I mean by she values what others didn't. Back to our family pet situation. Um, it's interesting that the family dog, if you have one, they value what falls to the ground from our plates, right? We don't value what falls to the ground from our plates. I, I have never one time gotten under the table and waited for something to fall off someone's plate so that I could get to that. But if you have ever been at someone's house that has a dog, you know that when you sit down to the table, that dog will sit there and stare a hole into your brain until you give it something from your plate, right? Because they value what we don't. I have a friend who has a dog, Ruby, and whenever we have steak, we don't even think about throwing away the edges. Whatever parts we're not eating, we wrap that up and she takes it home on like a little golden platter for Ruby. Because Ruby values what we do not. And this woman, what everybody else was saying no to, this woman said, oh, Jesus. Oh, oh, just a crumb. Just whatever falls, whatever scraps fall to the ground is gonna be more than enough more than sufficient. And here were the children sitting at the table that weren't getting it. Even the disciples so often, this woman gets ahead of the disciples in her understanding of what Jesus can do and who he is. And so I I pray today for us that this would be a wake-up call and a challenge for us. That if we're children sitting at the table and we're just, we're we're full and we don't care and we're selfish that we would come to the table anew. Maybe we're sitting there and we're unsatisfied because we've let the things in our heart, we've let the sin in our heart get in the way. Maybe we're unsatisfied because we're blaming everybody else for how hard things are, how hard life is. Maybe we're there because we're, we're like the Pharisees and we're, we just, we wanna trust in ourselves. We got this, God, we got this, we don't need you. And at that point, yeah, the bread of life We're not gonna value that so much. But when we come to Jesus like this woman, desperate, with a ton of faith, with persistence, not demanding that Jesus enter our story, but saying, Lord, I'm there. I'm in your story. Got it. It, it, it's, It's so powerful what's happening here. So not only does she join Jesus in his narrative, not only does she value what others didn't, but last, she doesn't give up. And I know just by virtue of there being a crowd this size and all of you being in here today, I know that there are people that have been asking the Lord for things and you have had faith for things and it has been a long journey and it has been a slog and you are tired and you might even be offended by God. 
I don't know if that's happened to any of you recently, but I mean, just in the last couple months, I've been asking the Lord for some very specific things and they haven't been happening. And it's kind of offended me. It's kind of hurt my feelings. And I tell him that. I say, Lord, you know, I ask and I'm a little disappointed here. But that's okay. I believe that's relationship. And that's me still coming back to the Lord and saying, but still, Lord, you are the one I have. Still, we were singing that song. I raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. There's mystery in this life. And I'm certain that that parable must have struck that woman as what in the world. But even in the middle of the mystery, even in the middle of what could have been offensive, she believes that God is good and she still comes to him. And she throws herself at Jesus' feet and she is persistent. She will not take no for an answer. But not in the, not in the way that the Pharisees wouldn't take no. But in the, oh no, Jesus, I am not going to stop. I believe in who you are. I believe in what you can do. And I am going to keep persisting. Matthew tells us something that Mark doesn't. And it is in Matthew chapter 15, verse 28. You don't need to turn there. But we know that Jesus responds, when, when that woman responds to Jesus that way, Jesus says, listen, your daughter is healed. Go in peace. But in Mark's gospel, I mean in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is quoting, quoted as saying, woman, your faith is great. Your faith is great. Now, let me tell you that Jesus does not say that very often. And one of the times is when he's speaking actually to another Gentile, a Roman centurion. And we see here that here the Pharisees, the insiders, the religious elite that had clean hands and clean dishes and clean cups and knew the Torah, knew the law, had it all together on the outside. Jesus is like, I'm out of here. And then here is a woman that probably knows nothing of Jewish law, that is in a pagan place, hasn't washed her hands in who knows when, doesn't care about the wash dishes, doesn't care about the ceremonial uncleanness, but all she does is she comes to Jesus in faith. And that's what Jesus responds to. And he says, woman, your faith is great. And so you may be in a time right now where it is a struggle and it is hard and it is offensive and you're, you've been dying to yourself and you've been entering Jesus' story and you continue to knock on that door and it's a difficult time. And I just want to throw this out there as a possibility that is it possible that Jesus is drawing faith out of you in a profound way? Not in a way where he's standing back thinking, well, let's see if she gets this right. Let's see if she does the right thing with the parable. Not in that way at all but in the way of I am going to take the faith that I see in you and I'm going to put it through a furnace and it is gonna come out like fine gold. It's a testing. Is it possible that that is what Jesus is doing in your life? I see this whole story as a blessing, as a gift, as him seeing in this woman um, something that was astounding. Now, what happens from here? Well, Jesus actually does not go back to Israel. He goes up to Sidon, and then he kind of goes back down to the Sea of Galilee, and then he goes over to the Decapolis on the east side, which is Gentile territory. And there's a group of people, and they 
they bring a friend to Jesus who cannot hear and cannot speak. And Jesus, in a very intimate, tactile way, heals this other Gentile. And I want to read verse 37. This is the way that Mark's gospel ends. They were, this is the crowds, they were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now that phrase, the deaf hear and the mute speak, that comes straight out of Isaiah 35. And it's a wonderful text if you want to go and read that this morning. But Isaiah 35, where Jesus talks, I mean, I'm sorry, where the prophet Isaiah talks of a coming day where the deaf would hear and the mute would speak and it would be the day of the Messiah. And we see that that has now happening in Gentile territory, that the, that the early seeds of the gospel are beginning to go out and it is shocking. But here's what I want us to see today. Um, this woman, this woman from Syrophoenicia, she sits in between two other bread stories. Okay, so there's this bread motif going on. She's happy with even just the crumbs because she understands the value of Jesus. But it, it, but it happens in between two bread stories. If you were with us last week, you heard Pastor Jeff talk about the feeding of the 5,000. And what happened? He fed the, the 5,000 plus, and there were 12 baskets left over. And the 12 baskets most likely represent the 12 tribes of Israel, showing Jesus' sufficiency, his bread of lifeness for all of Israel. But after he has this encounter with this woman from Syrophoenicia, he goes to the Decapolis, and next week you will hear Pastor Jeff teach about the feeding of the 4,000 plus. And maybe you, like me, have thought, now why in the world is there a feeding of 5,000? And two chapters later, there's a feeding of 4,000. Like once we know Jesus can do it, like isn't it just enough that he just did it? And why take up extra space? The feeding of the 4,000 happens in Gentile territory, and there are not 12 baskets that are left over. There are seven baskets. Seven is the complete, whole, perfect number in Jewish culture. And so what it appears that Jesus is showing is not only has he come for all of Israel, but he has also come for all of the Gentiles, for all of us, for all of the rest of the world. And together you have all of the world that he has come for, that he is the bread of life for. But sitting right in between these two mass feedings is one woman who is satisfied with just a crumb from his table. And I just wonder, was her faith the precursor to what God was about to blow open in Gentile territory? To me, she is like a swinging door between the feeding of the 5,000 in Israelite territory and the feeding of the 4,000 plus in Gentile territory. This woman sits right in between those two. And I just wonder who is on the other side of your faith? Do you see what I'm saying? Is the Lord, has he put out something for you? And he's saying, listen, believe me for who I say I am. Believe me for what I say I can do. And is he drawing out your faith? And if you are to put your faith in him, if you are to join his story, what in the world is waiting for you on the other side of that? 
What might Jesus do on the other side of that? No, we don't put any hope in our faith. We don't put faith in faith. We put faith in Jesus. But I cannot help but see how this woman plays a vital role in the gospel going from Israel to the rest of the world. Are we willing to have faith in Jesus today? Are we willing to obey him today? Are we willing to join him and do what he asks us to do? Who might be waiting on the other side of that faith? Lord, I thank you so much for what you're doing in our midst today. Lord, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray that you would stir faith in our hearts, Lord. Lord, you are the one that works miracles. You are the one that changes lives, Lord. You are the one that does healings. You are the one that restores our sinful hearts. Lord, do more than we could ask or imagine. And don't let anything get in the way of our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this sermon, make sure to share it with loved ones and subscribe so you can tune in each time we release a new sermon. Don't forget to check out our other awesome content, like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, go ahead and download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We'll see you next time.